Welcome to Fans of the Forge. I'm Chris. To my left, we have... We got Sean. And to my right, we have... Teresa. And today, our episode is a special interview with Josh Weston. Josh, you're on now. Hey, yeah. thanks for having me on. I'm excited about this. Well, thank you for coming on. You know, um, we've been hearing from a number of Forge and Fire contestants and champions over the last month or so. And um, you were one of the first ones to contact us, actually, after we talked to Drew. And Drew yeah. uh, Drew put in a good word for you. And we uh, we had seen you, I think, the most recently on Knife or Death. Yep. And uh, we're still playing catch up on some of the older episodes. But we've yeah. seen your episodes of Forge and Fire as well. And we've been following you on Instagram for a while now. So we got a number of things to talk about, I think, here. Yeah. We got a good list here. Yeah. So, Josh, if people don't know, was on Fortune Fire twice, and the second one was when you were brought back as a fan favorite. Yeah. And in that episode, uh, you ended up beating Ray Kirk, who's a very well-known fan favorite as well. Yeah. And, um, and a master bladesmith, which is awesome. <laughs> that felt really good, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> is it bad to feel so good about that? No. No. <laughs> And then most, more recently, again, you competed on Knife or Death. And from what I understand, you were the first contestants. Oh, there oh, you go, yeah. Knife or Death, right on the <laughs> yeah. show. You were the first contestant in the whole show to finish the course without incurring any penalties, I yeah. believe. So that, yeah. is, that is awesome. That is really an yeah. achievement. Some, some background on that. I think I'm actually the only one. The only one out of all of them. I was the 37th person to run the course. They just, I think those, those guys um, that aired in episode five, they filmed second. And I think they, um, they just, just went through and destroyed that course. And I think they rewrote some rules after that crew went through with um, Wayne Melligan and, and yeah. then with the hog splitter. Yeah, I think some rules were rewritten after that one. So, uh, <laughs> That's that was a pretty crazy group right there. I'll have to I have to be honest with you, but yeah, uh, yeah that what a that was a wild experience, especially post forged in fire going into knife or death. I mean, that's kind of a cutter's dream because you go in there. Um, I went on forged in fire once. I lost right in the very end. Went back on one, and and then I want to go test my shit on something that awesome right so for me moving on to that show was great because it's like a 120 yard course of final testing from forged in fire that i get to run through with a knife that i made i get to handle it i get to make it move the way i wanted and as you can see i did a perfect job right so <laughs> that's right i'm really happy with my performance on that um, episode. Oh, I love it. I, I want to go back on there and rip some shit up. Nice. <laughs> well, season two is, is getting into production now, I believe. So Yeah, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how about we do this? Um, we'll go chronologically here. We'll go back to your first appearance on Forge and Fire. We have a couple episodes to ask you about that. Sure. Or questions to ask you about that. Excuse me. And then um, we'll move on to your second episode. Um, and I don't know if we have a whole lot more to say about your knife or death thing, but we yeah, can get into it as we go. Yeah. And uh, right. then we have some generic questions also that we can ask, and um, we'll go from there. 
Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. I think so you need to ask that first question. I, I came up with this question, um, you know, right off, right out of the gate. I wanted to know, what did you think of Richie's steampunk goggles? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, this is going to go public, so sorry, Richie. <laughs> I like Richie a lot, but I knew. So I was in the hotel first time I saw him. I walked around the corner, and I see this guy in steampunk goggles chatting up this girl in the lobby. And I went, okay. That guy's definitely, he's the other one. You know, I saw Jason Reddick in the airport across the airport. You can't miss that guy, right? Yeah. And I looked across the airport and honestly, I said to myself, that guy's going to be on the show and I bet it's me and him in the finale. In the airport. Wow, really? In the air- before I, yep, yep. And sure enough, he was on, we went back to the hotel. The next morning I came down for breakfast or whatever and I heard Richie talking, went around the corner, saw him chatting up a girl with those glasses on and I go, well, there's character number three. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think Kelly, I just wasn't there yet um, mentally, but then she ended up being number four, got in the van, great. It's a really great crew, really, really nice. Um, Richie's actually a talented chef. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. You know, you don't find out as much about the people who go off first. But, yeah, he's a very talented chef, which is a pretty interesting fact about him. I, I don't know that I'd pick the steampunk goggles, but he goes to those shows and he walks that life. I mean, you know, that's his thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. it's, it's a lot of people's thing. It, yeah, it's a lot of people's <laughs> thing. Look, I make wrist cuffs. <laughs> nice. That's my thing. It's a little bit steampunk. Or Viking punk. A lot of people call me a mall ninja. Wow. <laughs> Fuck you, people. <laughs> it's a Viking punk. It's a it's a Viking ninja or a mall ninja. Mall, mall. I've been drinking. Yeah, it's all a right. Viking. You're Viking. <laughs> there you go. So, Jason, the other the guy who you end up facing in the final yeah. part of that episode, was it scary just stand, standing next to him? Dude, he's huge. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm going to do this, right? That's his head. <laughs> down here. So the, the first time, for instance, I went to Blade Show after that episode aired, and I met a bunch of the other guys. And when they met me, they went, wow, you're actually normal size. We thought you were a midget. <laughs> if you were a midget or if he was a giant. And it turns out he's just a giant. Yeah. <laughs> Huge. Um, we've actually become really good friends. Jason Reddick and I are uh, really great friends. His mom and sister live about 10 minutes from where I live. So he comes and visits quite a lot. And he works out of my forge several times a year for a week or two at a time. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, after that episode, I actually had to you know, swallow a humility pill because it made it look like I couldn't sharpen a knife at all. So what I did is I actually invited him to my forge and I had made some videos and some posts about it and he gave me sharpening lessons. <laughs> oh. So yeah, yeah, which is nice. And I actually did learn stuff because you can always improve your sharpening game. That's something I've learned is um, it doesn't matter where you're at in knife making. There's something you can improve on. You think you've mastered this skill? No, you haven't. You probably are okay at it and now it's time to take it to the next level. I'm just hoping that by the time I retire – I'm actually a decent knife maker. That's my goal. Well, yeah, that's noble. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, um, I don't know, what's the word I'm thinking of? Yeah, it's noble. noble. Stuff, that's <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. 
it's hard. There's a I look, I mean, I look around at people who make knives and make beautiful, amazing things. And there are some amazing makers out there that just shit blows my mind. And I love it. I love that there's so much out there. I like that what the show does, what these shows have been doing. And they're not just on this channel, but they're bringing people out of the ground. They're bringing this craft and this trade and artisan and craftsmanship out and about, and we're, we're creating makers, you know, we're getting people involved. And the more people who get involved and invested and make things, the more we uncover that's been lost from the historical methods. And that is really exciting. It's very exciting to me to be alive at this time because something great is happening right now in the blacksmithing, bladesmithing community. And we are peeling back thousands of layers of dust on practices and things that have happened and we're creating new and beautiful and exciting weapons again. And it's this community of makers that are sharing things with each other and they're not being selfish and we're not, we're not viewing each other as competition as much as we are camaraderie and friendship. And that is one of the things that forged in fire has helped accentuating. And I love that forever. We'll love that about the show and my experience on the show. And, um, yeah, and I see Knife or Death, which is kind of – there's mix. You know, people who like Forged in Fire don't generally like Knife or Death. It's people who like knives that don't really watch Forged in Fire that like Knife or Death. I think it's a beautiful time to be a knife maker and be alive and witnessing and watching this. And um, and I also think that Knife or Death is cool, and here's why. It's a proving grounds for the knives that we make. You know, we don't fight in battles with knives and swords anymore. We aren't fighting to death with these things. Now, bladesmiths of old, they had that, right? So they yeah. would go, hey, this is what I want this weapon to do. Hey, I'm going up against armor now. Here's how I need to tackle this. This is this is a situation I run into in a fight that I need solved in a weapon. So then the bladesmith goes in there, oh, no, we're going to do this, and we're going to make this a little bit like this. We're going to change the point. We're going to you know, change the thickness, put a fuller in, change the way the guard interacts. Knife or death is that for us now because we have this course that provides these challenges and we go, I'm going to make a knife that gets through all that shit. What am I going to do that, that is going to beat everybody else that can handle well? And now we've got these makers that are starting to think about that. And, and it's our, it's our modern proving grounds. It's our modern battlegrounds, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's great as a knife maker. I'm excited about knife or death. It's, it's people out there cutting. I know. I'm sorry. I'm shamelessly plug plugging the show. I may not ever be on it again. <laughs> I want people to give it a second chance. You know, uh, don't shoot it down just because you're used to the forged and fire format. Well, that kind of gives me a new view on it because we'll be honest. We've all kind of thought the show was a little cheesy, right? Oh, I love that. Though. Yeah, Teresa I watched loved, all of them. Teresa watched all of them. I watched all of them with her. Um, didn't. I, mean, I, I did. I did. I fell what? asleep on a few, yeah. but I watched them with her. And um, then after like the first few episodes, I think I caught all of them with you. But when we first watched it, the whole thing with Bill Goldberg was a little over yeah. the top. But I hadn't thought about it the way you're saying it. So the way you're saying that now you have to these guys are coming in and really thinking about how can I get through this course? There's a lot more that goes into the background, at least for the guys that are making their own right. knives. Yeah, exactly. Well, in season two, that's from what I've heard, it's going to be makers only. And that was supposed to be for the pilot season. But, you know, 
pilot season, it's so tricky because you've just got to make something that works and tells a story. And I really believe they were focused. Each episode had a very specific storyline that they were trying to get out. Um, and none of us knew what the course was going to look like. We were told non-destructive targets. I'm sorry, but a sheet of steel is a destructive target. (laughs) So come on producers. Like a block of ice, you know, right. Yeah. That was my first time cutting a block of ice, by the way. And, um, it really shocked me. I couldn't believe it. I took that initial hack in and it, it, it was a really surprise because it just ejected my blade as if it was a bouncy ball on a cement wall. It was a really weird feeling that I just hadn't felt with a knife before. And you, if you watch me after that first shot, I, I actually stutter. I freeze for a little bit, about a second or so, before I take that second and third whack into that piece because I'm just going, wow, that didn't cut at all like I expected. Very, very, very odd. Huh. I like it. It's pushing me. It's pushing me as a maker. Right. I'm going to drink more. Oh, yeah. Don't worry about it. Go for it. Going back to the Kukri episode, um, you had yes. trouble with the burn-through handle. How do, you, yeah. do you have lots of experience with that? Is that a thing that you do? Is that something you've done okay. before? Yeah, up to that point, I had only done burn-through handles. Oh, okay. It was it. I hardly ever do them anymore now. I hate them. Um, <laughs> I'll do burn-through antler now, but I don't like doing the burn-through wood. Um they use they were that was a really dense wood. Actually, I'm not even sure what it was, but it was dense and stabilized. It's really hard to burn through. If you're using a stabilized wood, it's resin. It doesn't burn the same way, you know. And and some of those thick woods, they don't burn through like a regular maple or something like that. That that isn't tr- totally treated. So, um, yeah, that was really frustrating. I was really, really frustrated because at that point I was doing a really good job. I was ahead of schedule or, or right on track of where I wanted to be. And that handle just completely got me out of my element. And I got that tunnel vision on that handle problem and I stayed on it way too long. And that short sheeted me for um, my my final sharpening time. And I, I mean, I was, I remember being right down to the very last minute I was grinding on the pommel of that once I finally got the antler piece on. And I mean that it was red fucking hot on a grinder and then quenched it, walked over to the table, sat it down, done. That was it. I didn't, I walked and Jay Nielsen was so pissed. He was yelling at me later. Um, and I've become good friends with him. I like Jay a lot. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him. Um, I walked by a grinder that had a 400 grit belt on it and he goes, why didn't you stop? Just stop run it two times on it and come in. But I've been cutting myself all over with that blade the whole time I was working on it because I I did a pre-sharpen. When I ground my blade, I put a bit of an edge on it. Okay. And and then I just moved on. And I didn't go back to it because I ended up taking two hours on – on a simple hand, what should have been a really simple handle. So mistakes, you know, uh, I actually ended up putting drew. I don't know if he told you this, but I put drew through a boot camp before he went on. Oh, really? no, and, no. I didn't know that. Yeah. He came out to my shop because I'm going to be on forged and fire. And I said, come to my shop. And, uh, we worked on knife designs and patterns and walked through what his schedule is going to be, what he's going to make, how he's going to make it. And, and I go, there's, there's no doubt about it. If you want to win this, you have to cut corners and you are going to have to figure out which corners 
you're going to have to cut. So we did, we practiced knife design. I made him memorize the measurements for his blade so that when he got to the 10 minute drawing window, all he had to do was take that ruler and plot them out. Cause you get through that 10 minutes that sets the tone for everything, everything. That first little bit, if you can get yourself comfortable, you're going to be good. You get yourself confident and you get yourself centered. You're going to be fine in that competition. But if you're out there and you want to go on forged in fire and you aren't practicing that challenge and you aren't pushing yourself, you aren't going to win. You know, the second time when I went on, Jason Reddick came to my forge for two weeks. Every day when I came home from work, he had a new challenge sitting on my anvil for me. I started the three-hour timer, and I practiced that. Wow. Have, here's, here's an axle chunk. Here's a chain. Here's a whatever. And I did four, five challenges over 12 days. And one of them, one of them was a complete mess up. Um, the blade cracked in the, in the quench. It was a cold day and I didn't heat the oil. So so yeah, I, I, I didn't heat up the oil. It was 52, 100. I probably worked it in and out of, you know, ball bearings. And, but the thing is I practiced every day for 12 out of 14 days leading up to me actually going on that. And what happened? I won. Yeah. Because I practiced, right. I practiced everything, you know, I get, I get people who talk to me, oh, I want to go on. And the first thing I ask them, well, can you forge weld? Do you make Damascus? No, I, I don't do that. Don't go on the show. Yeah. <laughs> don't. That's, that, oh, that's, that's step number one. You won't make it through round, round one. Don't go and look a fool. Go out there and be amazing. That's when you go on. Wait. You know, if you've been forging for three or four or five years, six years, and you haven't done all the things that they do on there or, or even a decent amount of them, please don't go on the show. But if you're a capable Smith and you can forge a knife easily in an hour, you know, and you can do Damascus, go on the show and rock out. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry. We're off of the uh, round one. I, I move around a little bit. Oh, we it's can go fine. That's, the, that's, that's we love that's a, it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's what we like. And this, what you're, what you said right there, it was almost like we just had the polar opposite interview that's with right. with Colin Sage. Who oh, yeah. Was, um, he talked about how he hadn't practiced for eight months before he showed up at the show, and then he realized like what kind of shit he was in <laughs> yeah well that's the thing that's what he he ended up realizing oh my god wow yeah 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 but it does make sense to, to put in that effort to put in that work yeah makes, makes sense to do that leading up to it and it probably gets you amped up ahead of time right so you're doing these challenges right and so when you show up maybe the adrenaline rush that you get isn't hitting yeah. you with um, the nervous energy as much. Yes. Yeah. It's the creative. You'll have that problem solving hat on already because you've been problem solving in your shop. Right. Yeah. And for those who are master smiths out there, we've seen a lot of master smiths go on and not make it or look like they do, don't do quite well. The hard part is, is they're used to doing things at a quality standard. And in this show, it's not so much about that. It's about who can create that task in a quick way. You know, you've got to get a blade that's functional for the tests. you got to focus on that first. And um, if you spend too much time on the details, you're going to have 
a bit more t- difficulty finishing those three-hour challenges on set to even get to the final round. You know, once you get to the final round, five days, fine, whatever, do whatever you want in that time period. But on set, you got to know what you're cutting and what you're not cutting. Right. That's personal experience for me. Haven't been on twice. I didn't know the first time. I was wet behind the ears, and um, and then I came back and was able to win, which was crazy. Um, by the way, that second time I was on barbed wire. Come on, that was, <laughs> that's that our leads, next question. Leads us right into this. What did you think when you saw the prickly bitch barbed wire? <laughs> uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't pissed. I was intrigued, but I'm going, I had no idea how I was going to do that. Absolutely no idea how I was going to turn barbed wire into a functional knife. It's crazy. It's not hardenable. You know, now they did give us some 1084, I think, a bar of that. Um, But we had to show the pattern of the barbed wire on the side. So you had to see that it was barbed wire. It wasn't just, oh, give us a knife with a pattern. They had to see that it was barbed wire. So that was, that's a, it's a, an intricacy that's, that's part of that challenge that is quite difficult to go, okay, well, you got to recognize that out of it as well. So, uh, yeah, that, that had us all scratching our heads and we all took the four fairly different approaches. A few of us, three of us were kind of similar on our techniques with sandwiching, keeping that in the side, the side, um, Chad who went out first, he had the best construction of a knife of the group of us. It's unfortunate he can't read a ruler, but hey, he's a farrier. Oh, man. <laughs> Shots fired. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And calling uh, in, we have him. <laughs> that would be perfect. It's all right. I do harass him a lot. I was up in, he works in Mackinac Island in Michigan, and I was up there at the beginning of the summer, and every time I make sure to bring that up, I go, hey, Chad, uh, let me check your rulers and make sure you don't have the extra space on the end. <laughs> Well, he failed what, on the, the overall length, right? Or is it? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, we had to mark either the end of our blade or plunge line to tip. Okay. And um, his was an eighth, I think an eighth of an inch off is what his ended up being because the ruler he was using had that, it didn't start at the end. Yeah. Oh, it had the gap. The dash line. But, you know. Wow. That'll get you. Yeah. So when you found out like you'd gotten voted on to get on this fan's favorite show to come back on, um, did you not know who the other guys were going to be until you showed up? Like the like, Yeah, the no idea. No idea. Um, I got picked up in the airport. I think I was the first one picked up at the airport, so I'm in the back of the van just riding around, and then we picked up Chad. Did we pick up Chad last? I don't know who we picked up. Robbie came in. Robbie Bowman, honestly, here's his weird. Um, I've really come to like Robbie Bowman. I'm actually working with him this summer. Oh, I'm, I'm at his shop. Oh, okay, um, cool. Yeah, he got in the van and he went woo and made his whatever. And I went, holy fucking yeah. God. <laughs> you know, is this what I got to deal with all weekend? Is somebody going woo every time they talk? Smoky Mountain Blacksmith. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but he toned it, you know, he did his thing and then he toned it down and it was just Robbie. And Robbie's a great guy. I really like him and I love what he has going on in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. I love teaching people and I've been there doing, um, giving lessons all summer. We're actually looking at opening a shop up together in Charleston, South Carolina, where anybody can come in, 
and forge a knife. It's that like get in, hammer something out, a railroad spike, a horseshoe, a pony shoe, or a, a nail. I mean, I've done lessons for two year olds in the last month. Really? Yeah, which is, I mean, and I think that that's cool because I want people out there making stuff. I want America to make and build skill set. Um, one of the things I think when you look at the modern landscape of people, you see a lot of depression, um, lack of self-discipline, lack of a lot of things. Is A lot of things are missing because people I don't think are doing anything anymore. They're interacting with screens and this and that and whatever, and I don't want to belittle all that. I think that's good. I work on technology. I'm a web designer, so you know I can't slap one side of my face and not hit the other somehow in that. But make stuff, you know. Get out there and make stuff. You know, you, the first time you ever make something and you look at it, you go, "Wow, I did that." It doesn't matter if it's any good or not. It could be absolute garbage, but you just made it. You know, yeah. you put in the effort to do something, you learn something that adds something to you that wasn't there before that is special. You know, it's unique. And then when you, you evaluate that and you go back and you make it again and you do it even better, you have that, wow, I did this and I, I did it even better. And this is cool. And you continue to do that. I, I, I love if you look at Robert Burns. And he, um, he was on Forge and Fire as well. Um, I think season one, maybe, um, possibly also season two with me. Um, if you, he has a Facebook album on his group of his very first knife, and and it's it's almost every single knife he's ever made, and the first ones are just absolute gnarly garbage. That's where we all start. We all start at gnarly garbage, and then we make slightly better gnarly garbage. And then you look a few years down the road, and you see this progression, and you go, wow. Because I look at Robert Burns, and I think amazing maker. I never think about that gnarly garbage mm-hmm. because it was a while ago. you know. But you have to get through that. You go through that, and you make that, and then you can make awesome things. And how good do you feel about yourself when you've accomplished something? You know, we want to solve some of those depression, anxiety issues in this country, make something, you know, you're wearing that shirt right now. Be a maker, not a digger. You both are. I mean, it's a great movement. Absolutely. Be a maker, be a maker. And, and I wouldn't, I don't even say it from the be a maker, not a taker part of it. I think be a maker to better yourself, be a maker to better all of us together, you know, be a maker. Yeah. Jason Knight is it right. It's it's a fantastic saying. I want more people to make stuff. I don't care if it's knives. I don't care if it's blacksmithing. Just make something. Yeah. So were you excited to be on this band's favorite episode with all these other guys? Oh, did I? I didn't even answer that question, did I? Um, I'm so sorry. Uh, yes, I was. I was. I was pretty stoked about it. It was cool when I saw the van pile up with people. Uh, it was. It was cool to be in with those personalities because I, I feel like my season two appearance was pretty, I don't know, I wore black t-shirt and jeans. I faded, I faded into the background, I felt like. I was the underdog in that season four episode. So with this episode, you know, where, was your aunt able to show this to her church group? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you had some swears in there. <laughs> but they bleeped them out, so still no? Yeah, I mean... Is it just... <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. It means probably not. Probably not. Maybe. She's really conservative, my Annie. She's really conservative. Um, but she's a good sport. You know, I've uh, done a couple live videos with her since then, and she's she plays it off well. She's, you know... You can just have her mute it. Just mute the episode. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just watch what he's doing. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just do this. Nobody will know. If they can't see my mouth, they can't tell that I'm saying, well, there's people in the show. (laughs) (laughs) So when you were um, making your blade in that one and you quenched, you had a pretty bad warp and you were saying you were watching it slowly warp in front of you. Did you do anything, you know, beyond what they showed to kind of fix the warp because they showed it kind of tightened down the vise with some wood and then you you end up going back in to reheat and, and quench was there any other stuff that you could you were doing at that point to to fix it yes i yelled and screamed at that thing so <laughs> much you have no idea um and at one point i'm on the floor at one point with a hammer just squeezing down on that thing just saying you will do as you're told i felt like my i felt like i was my mom when i was a kid getting spanked on trump each hit of the spanking is a different word you will be (laughs) and that just kind of came out and then and it, it didn't it didn't even work and the very last thing that I did, which is so bizarre, I just went over to the water tank and it was curved like this. And I drizzled the water on this side and I watched it go. Wow. Really? It was a last ditch effort. And I'm telling you, it was within six minutes of the timer going off. Oh, wow. It was less than, I mean, it was less than six. Yeah, it was within six minutes because once it straightened out, I ran over to the grinder, did another cleanup, stuck it in acid, went to the table. Six minutes. I had a, I still had a a potato chip at six minutes. I put a little water on that thing and it just went right to straight. Oh, that's awesome. Stroke of last minute thought. I mean, I was pulling tricks out of my sleeves all over and none of them were working and the water thing just hit. I got lucky. Hmm. How cool is Ray Kirk? Ray Kirk is pretty cool. Um, He is a treasure trove of information as well. So I sat and I picked his brain nonstop because we sit in a green room for hours all day long. You're sitting in a room with these people. And that's that's why you see the friendships develop over the time of the episode. And by the end, they look like they've been best friends forever. Well, we've just spent a shitload of time together in a room with nothing else. So all you have is to talk and communicate. And it was cool. I mean, we were. We, did, we weren't given any paper or anything, but I did steal a marker and a pen, and uh, we were ripping the boxes of snack foods that they had us in one room. We were ripping the boxes off and drawing out ideas and knives and, and just talking through tricks and stuff like that. And it was very cool. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you think you were going to move on to the third round? Um. I felt like I had a really good chance of moving on to the th- oh oh yeah um, I did I did I know so 
I know when, when I review the footage, I think about it, my blade probably cut the least deep into the Kevlar again, which was disappointing. But, um, there are a couple things that I did that nobody else did on that set. I thermal cycled the fuck out of that blade. Even when I redid it after it warped the first time I put it in, I annealed it, put it in, let it sit. I mean, I spent an hour in front of that box. Okay. It was so bad that my lips were sunburned when I left. And the week that I was doing my home forge, uh, when I came back, I let my mustache continue to grow over because I had heat bubbles all across my lip from sun, from the burn on my face. My cheeks were all burned out. My forehead, everything was, was burned from the amount of time I spent watching my blade, keeping the temperatures right for an hour straight or 54 minutes straight is what it ended up being. So, um, you, you definitely can have, there's physical repercussions in this job. It's, it is, it is dangerous. There are hazards in it. So shit, I lost track. Where, where what was I at? What question was I uh, about going to the third round after the, the testing? Oh yeah. Yeah. So when, so when we got to testing, so I, I made sure my blade was solid. Um, it was a little bit thick on the cutting edge, but you know, I'd been on Forged and Fire before. I knew that they were going to try to damage it. We had to, we were told that we had to cut through barbed wire. Right. You're not going to have a, a razor-thin edge to try to cut through barbed wire. You can't. You can't have it razor-thin and do that. And I know that you're more likely to get kicked off for damage than you are for not cutting as deeply. So I just made sure it was sharp. I had Ray Kirk test it, and and, and he checked it, and it was good. So, um, so I felt really good going into it and the test, it didn't cut as hard, but if you notice, if you rewatch that bag cut, you will notice that one of the requirements was a stab. Yes. And I can't remember whose goes first, but Robbie's, if, if his knife is my whole hand here, yep. his knife cuts in about that far on the stab and Ray's goes about that far, but mine goes about that far. Oh, okay. And that's in the interviews. What I was telling to the producers is I go, you can't underestimate that stab cut because look, Kevlar is made to be sort of cut resistant. Anyhow, mm-hmm. if you want to get through Kevlar, you re- if you want to kill something, you got to stab that. And I go, mine, mine rocked it the best. If you look at it from that angle. Yeah. I think, I think part of that is just coming in with the right angle and pitching. Cause they ask, they go through all these little interviews, right? And they ask you about what you think about your blade and the others and the performances and stuff like that. Well, if you're going to go in there and talk shit about your own blade, you aren't going to the next round. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> if you don't have the confidence in your performance, why should they? And the first time I was on, I made that mistake and I critically evaluated my blade and I didn't, I didn't win. You know, mm-hmm. uh, This time I went, no, I'm not going to do that. No, and I did perform well. You know, I cut the Kevlar. That was a requirement. I stabbed deeper, and I took zero damage on the barbed wire. Right. That's because I treated it right. I took the time to do it. If someone's trying uh, to shoot someone that's wearing a Kevlar vest, you don't shoot and to graze them. Right. <laughs> you, know, you shoot yeah. head on. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, and you don't, you don't stab someone to like lightly cut or slash them. Oh, I just want to slash through your Kevlar. No, I want to stab through that shit and get into some guts. Oh, of course. (laughs) So this was an episode that had Jason Knight on as one of the judges. 
And um, you've already had some nice things to say about Jason. But at the time, when you see him as a judge, does he come off as more intimidating in person? We've talked to him, too. Like, we've, we've had a nice, long conversation with him, and he was very, very cool to talk to, very personable. But the show really makes him look intimidating. And so, yeah. in person, how, how does it feel to go and stand in front of Jason? I mean, alongside David and um, Doug, for that matter. And Will Willis, of course, is immensely intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Jason, so I live in Charleston, South Carolina, and that is where I primarily learned to bladesmith. Jason Knight lived 35, 40 minutes up the street from me. He's a legend in Charleston, South Carolina. So not only was it intimidating for me, but I'm a guy that's learned from his area of the country that I'm going to represent now. I had to be on point, you know? So I actually felt a lot of additional pressure standing in front of Jason Knight than maybe a lot of other people didn't feel, even though they probably felt immense because he's an amazing maker. You know, it's it's when I was talking earlier about people who are out there making amazing things, Jason Knight is one of those names. I mean, it is hard to touch or reach that level. He's I mean, he's brilliant. He's great. Comes up with cool stuff and he cares about makers. You know, Um, he invests in people. He does give back you know he's not one of those guys that says something and doesn't live it he lives what he says and uh, he's an immensely respectable man and uh standing in front of him all i felt was man i can't fuck up yeah i can't fuck up you know and it's hard on that because you don't know what's getting thrown at you you don't know what's going to happen so when you present those blades and you 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 know you go in front of that that board you're just like the judgment is real i mean it's it's facing that judgment table it's all out of your hands it's all entirely in in their hands and have you impress them does your weapon meet the expectations um and going in front of somebody like Jason Knight is in, is very intimidating. <laughs> so we were watching um, this episode tonight, actually in preparation for this interview, and we happen to have our kids on the couch. We've got a three-year-old and one who's almost uh-huh. six. So it is a commercial so. break. We turn to our older daughter, and we're like, sure. okay, who do you want to win? Oh no, she offered it. She offered she it without offered saying it. anything. It without was down to you anything. and it was down to you and Ray, and she was watching the the last you know five days where you're making the the blades, and she comes out. And she busts out. She's like, "I want Josh to win." Okay, why? I think the blade is sharp enough to cut everything. So she had the uh, the rooting on of our six year old. That <laughs> that, that was. Amazing. Um, and I don't know if you noticed in the new episodes, it's right behind Will in the Connecticut. In the back shot when he's standing there at the end of the table, it's on the back wall. Oh, no. oh we'll right. have to check that out. You, yeah, you can see it in almost every episode now. I think I've noticed that because I, I do notice some other weapons. I think I, I remember seeing that now. That makes, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. It was a cool weapon. Um, Jason Knight told me later he actually came. So, it, so we filmed... I don't know when we filmed sometime and then it aired in the spring, early May. 
and my birthday's in June, and he was home by then. So he just showed up at my house on my birthday at like eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> let's go town. We're let's go downtown. We're gonna have a good time. So we went, we went downtown. We just popped from place to place and drank around town most of the day. And yeah, it was really cool. It was a really good surprise. Yeah, that's an awesome but one thing he told me, he goes. I've held a real Panabas before, several of them, and he owned one at one point, and he goes, yours was as real of a Panabas as, as they come. He goes, it was, that was perfect, the edge was great, the, the design, the structure, the, the, the curve, he goes, everything about it was on point. So it was a really cool compliment for me, but even before I knew that, when I was done forging it, actually I was... I was done forging it and I put the handle on and it was a globby mess. Okay. I, I really made a mistake with the handle in that I made a three piece construction and mortised them together. But I had put two pieces together first on a day that wasn't as hot. The next day it was a lot hotter. So when I put my epoxy on, it cured twice as fast as the previous day and it was really thick and globby and everywhere and I was just pulling my hair out just really frustrated and uh, and I'm looking at it going I'm gonna have to rip this whole thing off but it took me two days two and a half days to make those three planks because I'm not set up as a wood shop a metal shop I didn't have a bandsaw that could actually just rip down and cut out the two pieces that I needed um, two or three pieces. So I actually had to cut really awkward chunks and then hand sand them or, or I used a grinder to grind them down and then hand sanded them flat. It took me a long time and I'm going, I don't know how I'm going to do that in, you know, 15 hours. There's, it's just not possible. So with, with long pins sticking out the side and epoxy everywhere, I went, I'm going to go take this out back. I'll put a quick edge on it. I'm going to beat the hell out of it. If it has any problems, I'll rip it off. If it doesn't, I'm leaving it. I took it out back and I was cutting trees that thick with just one easy, just easy. Like you barely even felt it. It was just so amazing how well that thing worked and how well it cut through and how well balanced it was. And that's a huge difference between mine and Ray's. And I've held his since then because he got his back. But we also traded on set. I, I wanted to feel his. The balance on mine was a lot better. Um, I actually forged out a 3 h inch tang, but it went nine inches into my piece. So his ended about, his was only about four and a half, maybe five inches long. So his was really very blade heavy and very thick. Mine was a full flat grind. So that takes a lot of the weight off. I also had, you know, there's that little spine that goes up the back of that little fin. From that to the to the very end, there was distal taper all the way on the backside as well. So it was actually quite light and fast um, in comparison to his in the mobility aspect. And then the way that I had designed that arc, even though Doug was a little worried it was too, too much of a curve, mm-hmm. what I did with that is I, I planned where the point of that goes in relation to the handle of where your hands go so that – I don't know if I'm explaining this right, but if, if 
I can't do it with my hand. Oh, okay. All right. No. I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, I can't I do we, it. we can visualize. We can visualize. Yeah. Continue. So if you're looking down the blade that way, you know, it's got that curved tip right. like that. Right. The very point of it comes back here even though there's a space here. It lines up with where your hands go. So you can control the point of that blade even though it curved back quite dramatically, right. which is pretty cool functionality when you need to aim and hit something accurately. So, yeah. so I feel like I feel like the the show itself, they didn't really mention a whole lot about the balance of the, the sword and stuff. So um, they did, they almost made it seem like because yours was more aesthetically pleasing because you had a couple little bit of extra, your your handle had the octagonal design yeah. and you had the extra grinds in the, the top part um, that they, they kind of made it seem like that was the reason you won. But I feel like there was probably more to it Especially yeah. now that you're explaining how the how the balance worked on it, um, yeah. that went into that decision on the judges' part. Yeah, yeah, and there were a couple, and and they go into a lot more when you're on set. They just didn't air it all. Um, one of the other major differences is is Ray's blade actually is a little bit more designed like a Chinese weapon and not a Filipino weapon. So it wasn't really as historically accurate to a Panabas, and they had asked for a Panabas. Panabases have an octog octagonal or at least a, a hexagonal shape to those handle ends. Uh, so, so there were some points that even though they weren't written out requirements that are differences in the blade that came out. But also, you know, the balance is a big thing. And a lot of people forget that Ray's took damage. Um, his edge, and I, and I felt it since then, you know, and it's it's stayed the same. He hasn't changed the edge. I was able to feel the damage afterwards. And it's, it's actually, it's not major damage. But it's feelable and seeable. I mean, I could see it after they were done smashing those helmets and they tilted my blade. I didn't see a weird flash or a disrupted thing. When they when they flipped his and I saw it in the light, I saw the jagged parts from every time that they hit that helmet. And the difference is we we went with completely different blade steels and different quench approaches. I used the W1 that they provided, which is better for over a long distance sword type blade. Um, he used 52100, which is a great steel, but it is not a great sword steel. It is more brittle over a long length like that than the type of steel that I use. He torch quenches, he just heats up the edge and then quenches. While it leaves somewhat flexible blade, you didn't need that in a Panabas. You need a fully hardened blade in a Panabas so that you get the strength behind it so it doesn't have a crumply edge. I thermal cycled my blades in you know an annealed state and then three thermal cycles um, starting just over critical, then at critical, and then under critical, and then at, back up to critical for the quench and then a full quench. And then, and I used a clay back on my last one. I clayed up the spine. So um, I was able to get a differential heat treat with a full quench still, which makes a much more solid piece than what Ray did. And that's why he got edge damage. And that's a really significant difference because really the, the life and the strength and the, that of a blade, it, it's all in the quench. I mean, how many times have you heard Jay Nielsen say that? It's not a lie. It's true. The quench makes everything. So 
it, that's, it makes a, a lot more difference than people think that little, that little edge damage that they saw in that was a bigger factor than whatever. Um, the cut test also throws a lot of people off because they were not intending to cut the pigs in half on that episode. So Doug said, Doug, that they were taking multiple strikes because they wanted to get more than one cut into them to see how the blade holds up against the animal. When he went through on mine, he, it surprised him. They weren't expecting it to cut through the whole way. And they watched that film in slow motion. And he said the only thing that there was one flap of skin hanging before he came back in again and cut it. And, it, and I think had he just left it, it would have probably yeah. – yeah, but he came right back in. But he he was not intending to cut the pig in one stroke. After he used mine, he knew he had to kind of just make up for it and do that with Ray. So he went through with one, and he was better set up because he had had the practice with my weapon. See how do the pig. So they take that stuff into consideration as well in the background um, in the decision. So those were some things that were told to me. So we were outside. Okay. Which I think is cool. It's it's good background information. All of that stuff I think is good for people out there to know and understand and become more intimate and familiar with what happens on that on that show and in the set. But the tests are real. You know they're good. Um, if they mess them up, they don't air them. You know the first time I was on, Doug messed up one of the the skin tests um, that nobody will ever see from the Kukri episode, which was pretty big determining factor as to why my blade did not make it and that one it didn't air and it won't ever air and i think i think that that's fine i'm okay with it look i, I lost in that um i took a real bad business hit immediately afterwards which which did suck but i've overcome it you know if you're resilient and you have thick skin and you get back out there you will be fine you know just go make more cool shit yeah <laughs> Videos, you know <laughs> so moving away from kind of the episodes just kind of more generic background stuff um how did you get into bladesmithing i was 12 years old 12 years old hammering down nails in my driveway and um i just wanted to make not i just thought knives were cool and metalwork was cool and that's just what I wanted to do. Um, and then I, you know, my uncle saw me doing that. He goes, you know, your great grandfather was a, and you hear, I hear that all the time. You know, oh, my grandfather, well, of course your grandfather was. <laughs> they didn't even have hardware stores back then. I mean, they did, but you know, you had to have a blacksmith around if there was a farm or, or anything. You had to have some sort of skill on that. So everybody was a blacksmith a hundred years ago. Yeah. Um, and then I worked at a horse ranch for six years. And uh, made knives on the weekends and stuff like that whenever I had spare time. That was a lot of fun. Went off, got into, involved in a career. I'm a, I'm a web designer and a UX designer, so desk job. I don't love being in a desk job, uh, which is why I now am uh, pretty much a full-time maker at this point. I do. Awesome. That's great. Do you have a material and style that you like to work with when blade making? Absolutely. I like the migration era, um, Vendel period and Viking age. Um, my absolute favorite thing. I really enjoy making a multi-bar sacks and not the shitty ones that just have a 45 degree clip. I'm talking the real 
designed saxes. Um, second, the axes. I love bearded axes. They're fucking awesome. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, they just, they almost beat everything. I just love a, a really good bearded axe. You know, there's just something about it. And then um, swords. I got into knife making to make swords. I now make the smallest knives that you can possibly get on the market, little fucking knuckle knives. <laughs> but they're, they're cool, they're sharp, and shit like that. But I love swords. I like I like that that period swords. I like the Laten period swords, the uh, like the Halstad D type. Um, they're amazing, you know. And uh, the, my knife or death knife is actually based off of a Celt-Iberian knife from 400 BC that I saw in a museum in Germany. In um, let's see, what is the name of that place? Uh, I should know this because my daughter was definitely conceived in this town. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it was, it was one of my favorite places. Come on, why is that slipping my head? Doesn't matter. <laughs> At an awesome um, museum in Germany, this Celtiberian war knife, and I just had to make it. And when I got the call for knife or death, I went, you know, I'm going to pull that out of obscurity, and I want to see how that goes against. Because I had a feeling that people were going to bring Bowie knives and choppers, and you know, uh, Japanese katana type shit. Um, no offense if you guys like that stuff, but it's not my, look, I'm a, I'm a European descent dude. You know, I don't dress up as a samurai on the weekends and play kendo. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's just not me, you know, you actually just recently, I, I was, was watching your Instagram posts. It was around, it was for July 4th, you did the Eagle Talon knife. Yeah. That was, re- I really loved the design, and I was wondering kind of, um, what, did you come up with that idea, like, that, that that particular design, or was it based off of something else? Or? Um, it really was just, I wanted to find something that was America themed, so I went Eagle. I just want to do Eagle and I thought, well, you know, beak talent, something like that. I got to find something that works. And so I just tried to come up with something as talony as possible. And it, you know, it's, it's Karambit sort of inspired in that type with the inner curve shaped knife, um, which is not really my style of knife to make, but it was cool. It was fun. And I love doing stuff like that. Those little challenges where, Hey, let's make something weird right now what's it gonna be i don't know let's give it a shot now i still sketch stuff out and i i try to tell people to do that all the time you know um it doesn't matter if it's a spur of the moment design or you're trying to let the metal talk to you give it a sketch because as soon as you start putting a pencil to something or a piece of soapstone on your anvil or the floor doesn't matter you're you're instantly starting to do the problem solving and you have to solve problems to get completed projects so i'd like to tell people if you're a maker out there draw plan sketch it doesn't have to be amazing just start somewhere and then go build from that you know it'll help guide you it that's what it's there for it's guidance and after you're done you can compare it and go oh 
here's where I went wrong, or this is what I could do different in this scenario, or I wasn't quite able to get that upsweep. How will I do that next time? It's learning for your next build. Document that if you can. I'm not that organized of a guy. I'm absolutely one of those creatives that has a very messy desk, a very messy workspace, but I do believe in drawing, sketching, and planning as much as possible when it comes to building things. And that's one of the cool things I like to see on your Instagram too is a lot of times you'll you'll show one of your, your sketches as, as you're going and you'll post a picture of that and just seeing some of the background that goes behind it because so much of a lot of the different knife makers on Instagram are only showing the final final product. Yeah. yeah. So you get to see more of the what goes into making the blade and it yeah. um it's it's beneficial for everybody I think and and it makes it makes it that much more interesting to me to see what the yeah. final product's going to look like when you when you forge everything out based yeah. on how you just sketched it out using a little piece of soapstone on an anvil. You know, I'm really happy to hear people say that is fit you know that's great and i'm gonna keep doing that because you, that's exactly it i talk to so many people who go i really want to see more of the process more of the process there's so many finished shots out there so many finished shots i want to see more process shots i'd like to see it and you know a lot of people and i you're you're welcome to anybody out there this is just a broadcast statement Feel free through Instagram to send me pictures of your work along the way and ask for pointers. I take time out of my day to try to respond to makers that are having, you know, hey, this is what I'm trying to make. How do I do this? Hey, I'm trying to get started. What should I do? Hey, I'm having a problem getting my tips forged out the way I want to. I saw your video. Is there any more information you can give me? Yeah, I will. As soon as I get a, a time or a break, I respond to all of those because I want you all to make better stuff, improve yourself. So feel free to send me messages. It doesn't have to be a private message. You can just tag me in a post and say, hey, what do you think? What should I do next? And I will try to respond to that. I'm not that famous yet where I can't you know, keep up with my Instagram still by myself. <laughs> so in that type of vein then, um, for – someone that, that has never done anything like this so chris and i we just did a blacksmith intro class on monday yes oh sweet yeah yesterday so, yeah, yeah. So. and that was really cool we made a couple of hooks it was really uh, yeah really awesome so you know we've, we've kind of tossed on the idea of making our own kind of backyard forge and doing something yeah else. do you have any good beginner's tips uh for people just trying to start out just to do anything not necessarily blades yes i do the first thing I'm going to say is safety first. Do not forget safety. There have been so many shop and house fires out there. Okay. Take a moment. Look at the space that you're going to work in. If it's a garage, if it's a backyard, if it's a shed. A lot of people put them in their garages and sheds. What else do they put in there? A lawnmower. What else goes next to a lawnmower? A can of gas. Yeah. <laughs> what don't they remove before they start going? The lawnmower or the can of gas. What lights on fire first when you hot cut something and it shoots across the garage and lands on the can of gas? The can of gas. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. You know? So you really need to, the first thing you need to do, don't worry about building your own forge and building your own this, building your own that. You need to worry about safety. It is much less expensive 
to buy a forge from a known maker, a known brand, than it is to replace your house, your dog, or your entire shop, or your family. You can't replace your family. Just buy some fucking basic shit that's safe and proven. That's the best advice I could give to you right now is go buy a decent forge that won't blow up on you, that has a regulator, that has a metal braided cord that goes back to your propane tank that isn't housed inside your shop or shed. Okay? Start there. If you're going to do coal, don't have shit on the ground. Don't have wood around. Don't have burnable stuff. Don't have hay. Don't have pine straw. Make sure that your floor is cleared. It can be dirt. It can be cement. It can be sand. It can't be burnable stuff, you know. Um, you would think that some of this is common sense, but the truth is a lot of people really just don't know anything about this. So you, you can't put everything and say, oh, well, just use your own common sense. Well, a lot of people's common sense says, I got a roof over my head in my garage. I'm just going to do it in there. And the next thing you know, they've watched Forged and Fire. They see us quench and they see these big billowy clouds of fire and smoke. Almost none of my knives ever have that big blow up because it's not the proper way to quench a sword or a knife. Mm -hmm. right. You should never have any of that. Most of the people who do that when they go on set, they're doing it so that they get the camera shot of that happening. That's, that's it. They've realized that what's going on and they get airtime when they create that big burst. The best way to know that your, your knife is fully – down to the temperature is to leave it in the oil until it's dropped below the 200 degree mark. That's it. You know? So, um, yeah, start safe. I mean, I, I just want to say that again, start safe, you know, think things through, talk to people, have a, um, the fire volunteers, the fireman, fire company. I heard a department the, <laughs> call the fire department and have a fire inspector come over they will come over generally i it's it's for free because they don't want to come i mean just call them and say hey i'm gonna start forging this is what i'm gonna do can you please come check up my statement my my, my setup you know mm -hmm. um get fire extinguishers don't ever be more than six feet away from a fire extinguisher in your shop i have a one car garage that i work out of I have three fire extinguishers in there, one at the back, one in the middle, one at the end. When I'm forging, you don't often see it in videos, right away from my propane tank where I can still get to it just in case a hose catches and whips around. I can still reach that without getting hit by a burning hose and spray down what I need to to get to my piece. I also keep um, – I have different pieces of – fire resistant material and, and honestly even a piece of plywood can work for a while if your propane uh, hose catches on fire and it's whipping around and you go to try to turn your tank off you're going to have to face that hose put a piece of plywood or something between you to protect your face or whatever so that you can block that off and go get to your nozzle to shut that off safety precautions First, before you light anything. I have five kids. Does it show? <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Who was your favorite um, Forged and Fire cast member? Are we talking 
Judge, judge type or contestant? Yeah. Okay, judge. Ooh. Um, so you can answer both. <laughs> oh, okay. I will answer both. I, I will try to do that. Okay. Um, it's going to be an ambiguous answer. I've gotten to know Jay Nielsen quite a bit, and I have a lot of respect for him. Um, maybe a lot of people don't realize that one of the reasons he doesn't film all the time is because when he has his children, he spends his time with his children. And I've gone through a custody battle myself. And so um, I understand that when I have my kids, I want to be with my kids. And um, when I learned that about him and what he's kind of given up as far as fame and whatever with the show to be with his kids, that makes my respect level for him just jump through the roof. Anybody who can who puts their, their family first, I just have a lot of respect for. Um, if I go from a skill and talent level, I mean, Jason Knight is really hard to beat from that. If you want to talk style, Dave Baker has fashion style down. <laughs> Using a weapon, you, Doug Markite is about the nicest guy you could probably ever meet. He's just nice, warm, welcoming, and friendly, and I absolutely love that about him. A little bit goofy, which is great. It's really nice to have that on set. Um, ben Abbott, who's recently been added to the cast, I think is also fantastic. Ben Abbott is a wonderful person, wonderful Smith. Really like any time I get to interact with him. Last time was at Blade Show. Um, just a great guy great Smith. I'm really happy for the success of him that he was able to come on to the show. And then of course I can't leave out Will Willis, you know, <laughs> Will is great. Um, he really does a good job at making the Smiths feel comfortable and he walks around and interacts and helps try to sell nerves and, um, and, and helps to set them up to get the best out of us. And that really does make for a great host. The behind the scenes stuff that you don't see Will doing is what makes Will an amazing host. So thank you, Will, for being an amazing host and continuing on. And um, dude, you're, you're fucking great. Personal. <laughs> I don't know if we can ever ask another contestant that question again, because I don't know if they're going to be able to really <laughs> hold Not a that. candle to what you just said. But that was great. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I think about them a lot. They're they're great, um, great people. It's, it's a really great cast. Really nice to see this show have success, and a large part of that is that group of people. Right. So, yeah, Smiths. Who's my favorite of the Smiths? Um, some of the guys I like. I got to just Salem Straub. Uh, his work is amazing. Mareko Maumasi, amazing. Jamie Lundell, amazing. Uh, okay, those are probably my top three favorites right there as far as the work that they produce. Okay, cool. And actually, um, Mareko, he's based at the Dragon's Breath Ford, yeah. which no, is yeah. less than Not a 10-minute drive from where we live. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I actually grew up in that town, and um, we are... We are very keen and interested in getting in there soon and uh, talking with those guys, which may be, may be happening. we got to work out some details and stuff still, but uh, yeah. that, that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Um, you know what you guys should do is you should come to the grudge match 
September 21st through 23rd in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, because we will have 24, 25 Forge and Fire alumni right here in the parking lot where I'm sitting from (laughs) and run live shows all fucking weekend. All right. Well, we have to we have to yeah. talk to our our respective jobs and see what we can do for getting some time for that. But that uh, I think we might be able to see if we can work something out. Um, I'm the least likely to be able to go anywhere, but that's okay, boys. We'll figure something <laughs> out because that does sound fun. And actually, I had heard about that um, because Alex Ruiz had posted mm-hmm. about yeah. it. Because he's going to be taking part in that as well. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I was like, oh, <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah. So, it's, it's yeah. the largest gathering of Forged and Fire alumni outside of Blade Show. And actually, it might, it, it will quite possibly surpass that very soon. Um, we have 25 committed to this year. We've got some pretty cool sponsors coming. Um, right. I'm really excited. I've been working with uh, Kiln Frog. And also, I have one of their products, GenKen, and um, it's a vertical air bath. And I will be doing, upcoming through this fall and winter, some hosting some quench parties so that blade makers from, I don't care where you come from, you can come to my shop and you can use my vertical air bath to quench your blades and we'll do some videos and stuff of that. But um, this, this piece of equipment is awesome. It's amazing. Sorry, I'm throwing in a shameless plug here. For that sounds else. pretty interesting, though. That's yeah, like, well, um, so Relevant. I'm not. So, yeah, what, what is it? Like, what exactly yeah. is it? So the Gen Ken kiln, they, they used to make a lot of stuff for pottery, ceramics, glass, etc. Um, they're getting into blade making, and they've recently come out with this uh, vertical air bath, um, sort of an octagonal type kiln and they have it in three dimensions i think 18 24 and 30 inch so um and and they may be able to do custom if you needed a larger one um, which is very cool to have a company that would be willing to do that but um most kilns you have to slide stuff in horizontally you know so for me doing that panabas um, I've been making recreations and doing them in another kiln that I have, but the space is so weird that I actually have to lay it sideways, do a heat there, then lay it sideways again. But I've still been getting a lot of warpage because it doesn't fit quite right, right and it's resting weirdly on the insides of the kiln. With the vertical air bath, I can actually hang it straight up and down inside this kiln so there's no weird weight at all and the heat units are perfectly even all the way around so you get a really fantastic smooth perfect heat and you just lift open the lid pull that off drop it right into your quench tank and you are done and you will reduce your warpage dramatically in this system, you know, if you use the right quench it and you right do use the right temper, I mean, you're just going to be unstoppable. That sounds pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, you should shoot an infomercial for them. <laughs> I should shoot an infomercial. I may actually do that, but they are one of the sponsors of the Grudge Match, so I'm really excited. They actually just sent me a kiln to play with, and I will be uh, plugging that up 
um, this week and posting some videos. You'll, you'll see some Instagram stuff of me with that. I've got some, some blades ready to go. I just got to change one outlet in the shop and I'll be ready. <laughs> there you go. I'm bad with electricity. I'll be honest. <laughs> safety first. <laughs> yeah, safety first, right? Rubber gloves. <laughs> safety first means calling an electrician, getting somebody who knows what they're talking about. It's yeah. not my shop, so I don't, you know. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> so, yeah. Grudge match. Be there. It'd be awesome. All right. So, um,. Can you wrap it up? Wrap it up. Okay. So is there one question we should have asked that we didn't? <laughs> it's a trick question. Of anything. No, of anything something in you're general. hoping to talk Doesn't, about. Is there anything that you want to say? Oh. Um, I don't know. You guys covered some pretty good ground. I'm pretty happy about it. Did I talk about my wrist cuffs yet? <laughs> <laughs> So, so that uh, we'll we'll go into this as we go. So, do you do a lot of like um, Instagram is great, obviously for posting your work and yeah. stuff. Do you get a lot of customers through Instagram? Is that like one of your main sources, or or do you do website or Facebook, or is there Referral. a preference? Like, if somebody wants to contact you to get something made, yeah. what's the best way to contact you? Um, Instagram's pretty good. I also have an Etsy store. But I am moving away from the custom order market. Um, right now, I am focusing on making a handful of products well and producing them in small batches. And then when I make a cool piece, so I let people contact me. Oh, hey, I want this. Hey, I want that. Hey, I want that. I actually keep a marker board in my office of requests that I like. And then if I feel like making an ax or a whatever type knife that is, I'll look up that person and go, Hey, I've made it. If you want to buy it, I'm almost done. Here's a picture. But I find that to make a living, I can't chase the custom orders because they just take so much time. You know, you can spend 40 hours on the phone with somebody talking about their $600 knife and now you make $0 from it. Right. So I've had to stop taking custom orders and I just go, hey, the Celt-Iberian War Knife, I have a whole bunch of people that want that from Knife or Death. I'm going to release five of them or ten of them this fall. These are going to be the prices on them. Y'all can buy them when they're ready. Done. You know, um, I'm putting out the wrist cuffs in different batches and it's just the way that I have to do it to stay productive and make money. The other thing I'm doing, which is – Kind of more important than that is I've got a couple pieces of equipment that I am designing. Uh, one of them is a forge. You know, we talked about buying something from somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, right now, I'm working with a uh, ex Navy CB engineer that used to build compression tanks, but we are working together on a forge design. I've got a couple prototypes out there. Um, working on some tweaks, hoping to have, uh, basically I'll be releasing a couple products at the grudge match. The other one is a super secret product that, um, I, I don't really want to talk about and give the idea away at this point because I don't want anybody else to get on it, but it's a game changer 
in the heat treating process. It's not a kiln. It's not a, it's not an oven, but, um, I'm hoping that this particular product will save a lot of future shops. You know, um, I see people going through the heat treat process and a lot of really unsafe practices with a lot of homemade jankity equipment. Um, I have talked about on my YouTube channel and elsewhere that I'm making a commitment to beginning makers out there that whatever I'm developing, I will have a decent entry level price point available so that even if you can only afford like $300, you'll be able to get a decent piece of safe equipment for your shop. Now, I will have also very high end versions of these things um, with all the bells and whistles, but there will be a starter baseline safe shit for people to not burn their house and their life down. Um, I, I'm just seeing too much of that going on and I can't stand by anymore and watch that happen while people try to do things that I've done on TV. You know, I feel I, I'm not responsible for people's actions, but people are looking at us. Right. All of us guys and, and women that have been on Forged and Fire, people watch us on that show. You know, so if we do something on unsafe on the show, they don't necessarily know that it's unsafe. It's not called out. So they might do that in their shop. And and I just want to make sure that people are being safe. I have stressed that enough, haven't I? (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that either. (laughs) No, it's not uncool to be safe. I'll tell you what, it really isn't. Um, I used to run around as sort of like a wild well, I've been in so many accidents and so many mistakes and, and have had so much damage done to my body. I'm 37 years old. I am fucked. Okay. <laughs> because I have not been safe. I have a terrible back. I have a fuck neck. I have probably 35% of my body is scar tissue. Um, it's, it's, it's not been worth it. I'm 37 and I feel like I'm 65. Okay. There's no, there's no reason for people to feel like that. Just implement a couple safety measures. That's it. Wear some leather gloves occasionally, you know, don't skateboard naked down a hill drunk without shoes. Yeah. That that hurts so bad. Sounds awful. Oh, well, well, on that note, yeah, <laughs> that's the perfect end to the episode. Yeah. <laughs> so stay out there, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Don't skateboard naked down a hill. Yeah. The more you know. <laughs> well, Josh, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show with us. We had a great time talking with you. It's it's always funny how fast these things go by, yeah. and then you look back and it's like, wow, that was an hour and a half that just flew by. Mm-hmm. We got so much great information from you, and we will very highly put a lot of thought into going down to that grudge match. We will Sweet. look into it a little more. Um, I would love to do it, so we'll figure something out. Maybe, yeah. Hopefully, maybe at least one of us will be there. But That'd be cool. The goal would be to get all of us there. So we'll see how that works out. So uh what is your instagram handle we'll put out a couple social media social media stuff for uh people to follow you if they're not already yeah uh josh a weston josh a weston there you go yep it's easy josh (laughs) Josh a weston Weston. 
Josh, Josh A. West. Yeah. Got it. Uh, yeah. On Let's Instagram. Uh, remember to follow him. And hey, subscribe to our videos and like our videos and check out our Facebook and our Instagram. And we have a Twitter, but nobody follows us there. So don't fucking bother with that one. Do people really use Twitter anymore? Apparently, but not not, in the, not in the bladesmithing community, except for like two or three guys that retweet our <laughs> our links. Um, and I guess thanks for watching, everybody. And we will have some more content for you soon. Bye bye. Awesome. Well, we just Ask had uh, all the dirty dark secrets about Dave Baker. <laughs> <laughs> and his pocket tape measure. Yeah! <laughs> He's got one in every single pocket, I swear to God. <laughs>